Walsh, and this is Pod 2112, the official podcast of 2112 Group, where we talk with industry executives, thought leaders, and influencers about the trends shaping the industry and the world around us. Channel chiefs are responsible for curating and improving their channel programs to keep partners engaged and the indirect sales organization productive and contributing to their company's revenue goals. Many channel programs are built around the tried and true structures that have worked for years. When a new channel chief takes a job, he or she is often beholden to the programs they inherit. They will make changes to improve their channel operations and relationships, but their efforts are often equal to a home renovation rather than rebuild or new construction. Occasionally, a channel chief is given an opportunity that's rare in existing organizations, building a whole new channel program from the ground up. Why is this rare? Well, unless you're building a channel in a new company, most vendors will have some existing structure that they'll want to tweak rather than rebuild. When Sandra Glazer Cheek arrived at Sienna, a fiber optics networking company, she found a vendor that has a direct sales history and culture. Still, Sienna had a thriving channel even though it lacked many of the structures found in other channel programs. Sienna's management charged Cheek with remaking the channel program. This week, Cheek and her global team are launching the Sienna Partner Network, a new channel program that they built from the ground up over the last 12 months. Rather than reforming the existing program or imprinting the strategies used by many vendors, Cheek decided to take a new approach, building a channel program in which Sienna's diverse partners around the world are able to craft their own paths. Built on the premise of joint business planning, Sienna and its partners define what they're going to do to drive business, and the partners unlock resources and rewards based on how well they perform against their own plans. Building a program this way wasn't easy. Cheek challenged her team she inherited and brought in many outside supporters, including the 2112 group, to craft the channel program and bring it into reality. Cheek, the Vice President of Global Partners at Sienna, joins Pod2112 to talk about the lessons she learned in building the new channel program. And so with that, Sandra, welcome to uh, Pod2112. Hi, Larry. It's great to join you today. You've had a lot going on over the past year to get to, to basically rebuild and start your, your new channel program that's launching about the same time as this podcast is coming out. Really, let's get into you know where this started and go through the journey together. What was the trigger that embarked you on this journey to build a new channel program from the ground up? Well, I think first and foremost, I had an opportunity to start at a new company in a new role. Uh, that was one trigger where the expectation was that there's a new person coming in, we should expect change. But I think the bigger trigger is that for years, we as vendors have been trying to evolve existing partner programs, architectures to meet what's happening in technology changes. We would add specialization programs or cloud and services options because of that ever-changing technology market. Partners have a lot on their plates dealing with their own evolving business models. And in my opinion, I don't feel like the programs we've built of the past even with the new elements around specialization, services offerings, are optimized to harness the full value of each partner as they are evolving. It's interesting you say it like that, Sandra, is that you want to, it sounds like you want to have alignment between the new structures and new ways of approaching partnership with, at the same time, concurrent with the you know new expectations of the partners. Did you did you know that the partners had a different set of expectations coming into a company like Sienna that was very different from companies that from whence you came? 
Well, first off, as I mentioned, I was lucky that I was brought in to Sienna specifically as a change agent. However, it was really important for me to spend a lot of time listening. I am new to this industry with Sienna, and I really needed to understand not only the company culture, but the perceptions of our partner channel, and really holistically assess the partner ecosystem that we had and understand what works and where there was opportunity to grow. I had a team that I inherited, so I also had to assess the skills and talents on my team. A couple of months after I started, I had an opportunity to present at our annual sales kickoff. And at that sales kickoff, I promised transformation. So there's nothing like making a promise at a sales kickoff um, in socialization. And I'm a few weeks away now from the follow-up sales kickoff. So I had to make this happen. Um, but at, even at that point though, Sandra, did you, did you know, coming in as a change agent, promising transformation, did you even know what the objectives were at that point? I did a little bit because we've all been struggling with the technology disruption, disrupting our partner's business models, and then the effect that it has on our programs. I knew I wanted to do this at my last company. However, uh, we were acquired. Uh, so that, that kind of ended that. So I did know that because it is, you know, it's a conversation we channel leaders have routinely um, when we're together. So yeah, I think I did know, but the added kind of difference is being new to the telecom and the service provider business and really understanding the differences in my ecosystem and the impact that technology is having on their businesses and not to make any assumptions that it's status quo coming from an enterprise background. You know, we all carry our experiences forward. And as you said, you, you kind of had the genesis of this idea of what you wanted to do at your, your last company. But as you're coming in, you're coming into a new, a new part of the industry, a new company. How did you, you know, how did you settle in on this notion of building a bespoke channel program where the partners are able to craft their own relationship with you? And, and how did you know it was going to be a good fit to meet your needs? So, uh, and Larry, you worked with us a bit when we were assessing our, our channel and um, learning what we needed to learn. So you've been on this journey a little bit with me. CMS Partner Ecosystem has uh, historically consisted of MSPs and specialized solution providers. But like many companies, our hardware companies specifically, as we become more software-defined, cloud and services-based, our partners are having to evolve their business models. And so we needed to expand our definition of partners to include, you know, regional and global SIs, influencers, developers, consultants, doesn't matter what the model is. Everyone is evolving in different ways. So I was faced with either developing pro a program with different swim lanes per se to address different business models or a global framework that looked a lot like what we've been doing with different specializations, you know, standardized training requirements and expectations, et cetera. But even if I did that, the program really wouldn't address the fact that many of our existing partners have multiple business models. So I set upon a journey of reimagining what a partner program of the future would look like. So 
I was fortunate to have a blank slate. We, you know, everyone's not that fortunate. And so we've built a program that is customized to each partner's unique business model. So ostensibly, no two partners would have the exact same program requirements or benefits. Now this sounds easy in description, description, but it's incredibly hard to operationalize and to implement. What do you mean by is it hard to pull off? I mean, it seems like if you're just giving partners a menu and then they, they conform that menu, then everything should fall into place. What made it difficult? So the foundation of a unique personalized uh, program is joint business planning. And we have created a program where your joint business plan becomes your program. And so, so many of vendors' programs have joint business planning as a requirement, but it, it's really a check the list item. Did you get your business plan done? This is a living, breathing document that where QBRs are required, hitting a, a certain percentage of your business plan is required to enable you to have your benefits. So we're tying what has been traditionally more of a one-size-fits-all uh, approach to receiving benefits to our joint collaboration around the objectives and the outcomes of the business plan. So you can imagine that this would require a fair amount of, of high, a high-touch model. And so when I say it's incredibly hard to implement, we had to think about how do we automate this? How do we make this um, so that it becomes a way of doing business for our field and for our partner? So it's driving change internally around how we manage partners and how we develop our business plans together with partners and hold each other accountable to what we say we're both going to do. It's truly a partnership. We have a tagline on our program where we say partnering is personal. One of the things that I found in my assessments is that Siena, because of our culture, personal relationships have been incredibly strong. And I really took that learning around partners really were willing to overlook some of our deficiencies because of the strength of our partnership. And so that's why I we're going along the theme of partnering as personal to it, Siena. Sandra, this, what you're describing sounds innovative and different. In fact, it may be a, you know, more than different. It could come across as alien. How did you socialize this to, to your teams and to your organization so that you could, you could get their buy-in? And how did, you, how did you communicate your vision to your partners so that they would also, uh, they would also understand and accept the change that's coming? What I started with was a, I held, initially held a multi-day offsite with my team uh, to build a vision and a strategy and a straw man plan to execute against the strategy and define how we would measure success. This was socialized with each geography. And then we refined this to ensure that our objectives better aligned with the regional objectives. Interestingly, at Siena, our regions look very different from one another. So I don't have, like I've had at other companies where 80% looks the same with a 20% difference. I really do have quite a difference across the geographies. 
We then, after that, looked at our corporate strategic imperatives and chose which ones that we could impact and which ones we could not. So we were very deliberate in, in saying, these are the two that we feel like we can impact most. So in short, our objectives are a combination of alignment to company objectives and then our own success metrics that we're developing around a new program launch. I also held quarterly business reviews with a uh, global uh, leadership team to ensure that we had complete support and buy-in and everyone felt like they were heard as we uh, grew the program or, uh, um, I'm sorry, developed the program. Terrific executive sponsorship. So my peers were also very supportive and this did trickle down to extended geographies. And then later in our development, we established a field advisory council that consisted of sales, technical, and marketing members who were representative of the field as a whole to ensure that we were aligned in our implementation. One of the things you said about alignment to the corporate objectives, and I remember you and I had several conversations about this in terms of ensuring that not only did the program work with the partners, but it actually produced the results that the company was looking for in terms of its growth goals and, and, the, and needs. But as you're rolling this out and you're des describing it the way you do, uh, did that help, you know, the, 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 the communications, the, the justifications, did that help you secure the resources and the budget you need to do this? Because, you know, we hear this all the time, you know, we would do so many things differently if we only had the funding and there's no magical well of money out there that can fund everything. So, what was the trick that actually got you the resources you needed to be able to do all the things you've been doing? So I've been one of those people in the past who did not have the funding to do what we needed to do. I, there was no trick here, Larry. I actually had a very well-funded budget and I was able to afford um, investing everywhere I needed to invest this year. So I, I, there was no trick there. I don't have any good tricks to share with folks on this podcast for this one. I was just well-funded. Well, you were you know, fortunate, I suppose. Uh, did, did, did any of the expectations change, though, along the way? I mean, even when you're going through this process and you did invest a lot in new systems and you've, you know, in your organization and just building the plan, did that also contribute to any shift in, in expectations of what the outcomes would become? Well, I think what the shift was is I was, uh, you know, I, my budget was really meant to drive performance for the, this fiscal year. Where are we investing to drive business? And I will say that there was a trade-off this year where I did have to use my budget to build for the future, and I wasn't investing it in growth for our channel this year. doesn't mean we weren't investing, but I did. there was a trade-off there on perhaps some demand generation events that we may have. Uh, sponsored or new programs that we may have launched, I ended up using my budget on development of the program. Uh, I came in right before the beginning of our fiscal year, so the budget was pretty much set before I came in. So yes, we, I did have a trade-off there where it, we had to say it's status quo for our fiscal year 18 because we are building for fiscal year 19. I held off on hiring headcount and used my budget for headcount to bring in outside resources 
and uh, that had unique skill sets that could help us bring this program to market faster. Did it surprise you? It took as long as it did. Was there? Did it, you know? Did you anticipate it being twelve a twelve month process from conception to launch, or do you find that that's about the right time frame that you needed to plan in? I think a year is about the right time for any program, uh, and and in fact longer if you have the time. I think that, but I've never had that luxury um, because I don't think that folks across the board understand everything that goes into building a new program from the the assessment of the business what's your cost to serve building the business case for the program structuring the framework gaining approval cross-functionally uh, from units like legal finance IT operations marketing then profiling your partners and building an operational plan you have staffing gaps, then, you know, as we talked about, you've got to automate this. And that once all that's done, you've got to develop all your assets and content that go on your portal. Um, and then there's, you know, your whole communications plan. It's, it's a massive undertaking. And in fact, when we built out the original project plan, we had in excess of 600 live items. On our on our project plan it was it's a pretty daunting task I think that those of us who do build and bring programs to market understand that it takes this long it's those who report to that that don't usually have the patience for that yeah so now that you're at the now that you're at the the finish line which is actually just another starting line is it not um, how do you know if you're successful what is it that you're you're gonna say a year from now after you launch, this is what it was supposed to do and it met or exceeded our expectations. So at Sienna, our sales cycles can be anywhere from 12 to 36 months long. So revenue can't be our only early indicator of success. Um, more and more, and in fact, this is from research that your company did, uh, partners care more about enablement than compensation. So we have a strong focus on joint business planning effectiveness. That's one thing we can measure on a quarter to quarter basis because QBRs are required now in the program. Uh, new partner services launched and new vertical market penetration as a, as a result of our new enablement tools that we're launching. We completely revamped our training to make it more personalized and so we'll be measuring training consumption as, a, as one of the indicators of success because over and over studies show that the more trained a partner is and even our own assessment shows that the more certified a partner is, the more revenue they generate. Mm -hmm. So that will, you know, for an early indicator is how much training consumption there is. And even things that we haven't done in the past is looking at our portal analytics, webinar attendance. Some of this stuff is basics that many of you already do, but Sienna hadn't done. Uh, Larry, I think an assessment that you worked on for us showed that partners who engage with our portal do 11 times the revenue. So we have completely revamped our portal and we're gonna start looking at portal usage as what an early indicator of what we can expect 
But all in all, from a, from a macro level, my expectation is that a year from now, Sienna's channel business is growing at a rate faster than Sienna is growing. The biggest surprise that I've had is how interested the industry, press, my peers are in our new approach. A lot of people are looking to see if we're going to be successful with this approach. And this is really exciting for me because Sienna has not historically been a trailblazer when it comes to the channel. So um, I guess my biggest surprise there is the huge interest that others are taking in what we've been developing. What advice would you give to your peers? I know you're very active in several communities. What advice would you give them if they were considering to build a new channel program from the ground up? What would they, what should they do and what should they avoid? Don't start with a benchmark of your program against others if you really want to be a trailblazer or want to build, reimagine what your channel can look like. I would say rather invest in a deep and honest assessment of the efficacy of your current program elements and ask yourself questions like, you know, are these program elements still relevant? Do you have a certain approach or features because it's just expected to be, have in a program? And do you truly know your cost to serve the channel and do the true ROI of your, of your program investments? And, but mostly I would advise dream big. You know, what are the outcomes your company is looking for in the next one to three to five years and reimagine what your program could look like and how you would spend your budget in this disruptive market to, to deliver on those outcomes through the channel. Sandra, thanks for joining us. Yeah, greatly appreciate it. Great spending time with you. And there you have it. You found another reason to challenge conventional channel wisdom by listening to us talk about building new channel programs here in Pod 2112. I want to thank our guest, Sandra Glazer-Cheek of Siena, and thank all of you for joining us on Pod 2112, a production of The 2112 Group, a business research and strategy firm. Join us again when we talk with industry executives, thought leaders, and influencers about the market and the world around us. Don't miss a single episode of Pod 2112. Subscribe today on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. For more information about 2112 services, email us at info at the2112group.com, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Thanks again. I'm Larry Walsh.